If parenthood came with a GPS, it would most likely just say recalculating. Join Yulandi Becker and her guest experts Wednesdays at 11 a.m. for Bump and Beyond, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's that time of the week again with me, Yulandi Becker, and we are chatting bump and beyond as always. Over the last couple of months, I've had various experts on my show. If you've missed those, please remember that you don't need to fret. All of our shows are available on podcasts on highfm.com for you to go recap, listen again, because I really do try to make an effort to give you informed information on your parenting journey. And that journey starts at the moment when you decide that you might want to <laughs> become a parent. And unfortunately, then it never ends. But <laughs> I'm joking when I'm saying unfortunately, as you all know, I love being a parent, but it doesn't make it frustrating and annoying at the very same time. And isn't that what parenting is? Multiple emotions at the same time. And that is normal. In recent weeks, though, like me, you might have noticed the various social media posts about the closure of the Genesis Maternity Clinic, a, dedic a dedicated, low-risk midwife-led birthing unit specializing in active birthing, a clinic well-known for respecting mothers' birthing choices. Today, we are chatting just that, choices. Keeping you informed on your options that are available when birthing. So later I will be speaking to a midwife. So joining in our conversation. The reality is in South Africa, cesarean section rates are around 26.2 um, in the public sector and almost um, three times that, 76.8 in the private sector, that 76.8 is significantly higher than 21% worldwide, 25% in Europe. According to news and um, new research from the World Health Organization, cesarean section use continues to rise globally, now accounting for more than one in five, 21% of all childbirths and World Health Organization is concerned about this 21%. And sh if they're concerned about 21%, should we not be concerned about 76%? That's my thinking. <laughs> From the information of the World Health Organization, the number is set to continue increasing over the coming decades with nearly a third of all births likely to take place by cesarean section by 2030. The research finds we will, where will we be in the like private sector with cesarean sections in South Africa? If it's at 76% now in seven years, where are we going to, if we're going on this trajectory, is it going to change? Only if we change it and we are informed about the decisions that we are um, making. 
While cesarean section can be an essential and life-saving surgery, of course, it's sometimes it is essential. It can, can put women and babies um, at unnecessary risk of short and long-term health problems if performed when it is not medically necessary. Dr. Ian Askew, a director of the World Health Organization, he said that cesarean sections are absolutely critical to save lives in situations where vaginal deliveries would pose a risk. So all health systems must ensure timely access for all women when needed. But not all cesarean sections are carried out at the moment are needed for medical reasons. This is what we're going to be chatting about today. I look forward to it. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. If you've just joined us, you are on 101.9 High FM with me, Yolandi Becker, and we're talking Bump and Beyond. Today, our conversation is giving you some options when it comes to birthing. I've just shared with you some interesting statistics and the fact that the cesarean section rates are really increasing in South Africa. The World Health Organization says that they're worried about 25% in the rest of the world, but we're sitting in private sector at 76%. Again, I want to reiterate, sometimes cesarean section, of course, is a necessary procedure, but when it's not medically necessary, it can pose certain risks for you and your baby. And with these midwife clinics apparently closing all over South Africa, you might feel that you don't have options available. But luckily, I have good news with for you because I am talking to Heather Petersha. She is a registered nurse and a midwife already for 25 years. And if you have ever spoken to someone in Pretoria about this topic, for sure, Heather's name would have come up. Um, but as always, I also want you to join in in the conversation. So if you have a birthing story you want to share with us, um, please send us an SMS on 34519. Remember that SMSs are charged at 1.50. Or you can also phone in. We would love to chat with you. Telephone number is 010-140-3020. Or you can send us a voice note or a message on Telegram on 061-895-1019. I would love to hear your birthing story or what you're planning for your birthing story to be. Um, because we also have to face it. Sometimes we plan certain things and it works out and other times it doesn't. But as I mentioned, personally, I actually, both my children um, were born vaginally. Um, it was, I think, also sometimes, if I look back at it now, a little bit lucky how it worked out. But... I was a little bit persistent, and I think as you all can hear that I'm sometimes very opinionated, and I feel my gynecologist probably had that a feeling as well when I came in there and said, I will have vaginal birth. And to be honest, I remember going to a antenatal class um, 
or the your yeah, antenatal class and then they were showing videos of natural birth and then a cesarean section and it got such a fright when they showed the picture or the video of cutting open my belly that I was like I will never in my life do that <laughs> I was so convinced about my body's own ability that I was like, it knows how to do it. For a gazillion million years before me, women have been doing this without someone having to cut me open. I will rather go for that option. So for me, it was, but it wasn't an easy journey either in the sense of, of course, it's painful, but in the end... Uh, it was so rewarding, so much so that the second time around, because I feel the first time around, I was not prepared. I didn't know because I didn't have a midwife. If only I had a midwife, I felt like I wasn't prepared. And then by the second time around, I was a lot more informed and prepared, even so much so that I pulled out Emmy, my daughter, when she was born. And to this day, it's one of the most special moments that I recall. And it was wonderful to be able to pull her out. Yes, it sounds really gross now, but it's the only place bump and beyond where we can say these things of pulling her out of my vagina, putting her on my chest. And it was beautiful. And then my husband got to cut the cord and all that. So it sounds crazy but I also want to be honest because that is what childbirth is it's super gross your dignity basically you have to put in a little like suitcase beforehand and then six weeks later you could take it out again but it's also one of the most magical experiences so again introducing Heather Peterson a registered professional nurse with a specialization in midwifery and mother of two. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. It's nice to, nice to hear from you again. Yes. It's always special. I think my story was now my own personal story, but I can just imagine after 25 years of being a midwife, how many beautiful special stories you must have. <laughs> Yeah, we have. We we really, I think midwives are, have definitely got one of the most rewarding careers because it's just so, there's so many beautiful stories, empowering stories as we witness women become parents and realize their actual strength. That's incredible. Yeah. No, and I mean, it really is just that word strength is one of the most amazing things when you say it, because that's exactly it. Like I said, there's no real dignity necessarily because it's gross for me. It was a very gross experience in some ways, but I mean, I also say gross in a, in a beautiful way, not in a bad way, but (laughs) there were things that happened that I didn't expect. And maybe that's why it was. And I feel that's why it's so, so, so important what you do. And I don't think people realize a hundred percent what all a midwife does because you're now saying uh, it's so empowering and the strength of mothers and being on that, but you have to be on standby obviously. You don't know when that baby's coming. Yeah, um, no, for sure. It's, it's, it does. It's, it's a life. It's a lifestyle of being a midwife. It's not a career. It's, it's you, you marry, you marry it because it becomes your, it's always a toss up between your family or your patients. <laughs> And very often it'll be the mommy that wins, not your own family. So there's a lot of sacrifice. But, um, yeah, I think you're just born to be a midwife. It's not something you can decide to be. It it calls you. 
Now, I love that, but let's dive into it. Like I said, what exactly is a midwife and what, what should be your background if you do decide that you want to become a midwife? Okay, well, that's a good question because there's a shortage of midwives around the world. So uh, we need midwives and we need good <laughs> midwives. So midwifery in South Africa, you need to do your nursing training, which is four years, either at a nursing college or at university. And then you... um your community service part of your training at this stage still includes midwifery but they are looking at changing the training they've been looking at it for a few years but uh, changing the training and then choosing your discipline um yeah so you do your you then specialize in midwifery and then post postgraduate you do a uh, advanced midwifery or masters in your in midwifery is that, that how you pronounce term. it? Midwifery. Have, have I midwifery. said it wrong? <laughs> midwifery. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, I was surprised. Yes, it's but, midwifery. <laughs> yes. But I'm looking forward to our conversation, Heather. Thank you so much. Lots more questions to come. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker. The show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. If you've just joined me, you have the privilege of joining my conversation today with Heather Peterson, a midwife um, who has been in practice for over 25 years. So Heather, before I go into my other questions, do you know the actual amount of babies that you have delivered? I actually don't. Um, it's very hard to count. I think, I think probably around 2000, but it, it really oh. is hard to count. Um, that is so amazing. I know also by, uh, by you at Midwives Exclusive, like obviously that's not, not just the babies you delivered. You have like this wall with, is it baby feet or baby hands that you have? Uh, that's show... baby, baby feet. Yeah. So every yes. baby born there, we put their footprint on the wall. It's very special. It's really, that is so special. Just thinking about it, I'm getting goosebumps. 2000, that's, that's, I haven't even made that many people sleep. So that's super. And I've still got a couple of years before I get to 25. So (laughs) maybe targets to work for. (laughs) So what, like I said to you, for me personally, my, my journey was a little bit different. I also think and that's why it's so important for me to have this conversation is because I never feel like I was misinformed. I feel like I was a little bit overly curious, maybe about the wrong things. Um, when I was pregnant, maybe I was more concerned about the pregnancy than the actual pushing out the baby part and having a child mm-hmm. part. But, um, this is for me what the show is about today is to, inform parents and moms out there of the options that are available because sometimes I feel you go to an obstetrician um, and you think that's your kind of only option that is available and once Mm -hmm. I actually um, with my gynecologist um, had a baby uh, naturally or vaginally um, I felt like I wasn't prepared for that process and to be honest I kind of feel like my gynecologist wasn't really prepared or, or mm-hmm. prepared me for that um, whole process. She kind of left it to me to be like, well, you want to do this, so go for it. Um, is that 
part of what the midwife does. What is the involvement during the pregnancy part of the midwife? Because it's not just about obviously the birthing part. It's so no. build up towards that. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. There's really not enough preparation. Um, and as a result, there's actually so much fear um, that goes along with it. But, you know, and there's a lot of information out there, but most, you know, especially in the South African context, I feel we kind of get railroaded and we live at such, such a busy life. You get pregnant, you find yourself at the obstetrician who might have been referred, or maybe it's your general gynae that you go to, or maybe it was your mother's or your sister's, and you just follow what they do. If they do a birth at a certain hospital, that's then where you book your bed and you don't really give it that much thought. And often the hospitals will offer antenatal education classes but it's very much based on the hospital setup and what you can expect with your gynae care it's not based on women's options mm-hmm. so we start right at the beginning we offer an information workshop once a month where it's a free workshop for 30 uh, for two hours and we invite couples that are newly pregnant or thinking of getting pregnant to come and listen to what the birth options in Pretoria are and then we obviously talk a bit about midwife-led care But the whole point being that let people find out their options early so they can decide what is going to work best for them, what is most suited to them before you kind of two weeks before your due date and realize, hold on, I thought I wanted a normal birth. Now my doctor's suggesting a season. I haven't got the tools to to fight this. Um, Let me just do what they want this time and next time I'll worry about it. And that's kind of the attitude we see with a lot of women which then comes with a lot of regret afterwards because now they've had a Caesar or a, a, a traumatic birth experience and they don't know how to cope with that either as they start with their parenting, which, yeah, it's not an easy place to start if you're already at a deficit. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so before I ask more questions on that, I want to know now, because you said there's various options, what are the different options for parents out there when you want to, or the different birthing options out there for parents? No, sure. So um, I actually just realized I didn't answer your question either. So basically <laughs> a midwife takes you through the whole journey from before you're pregnant until six weeks after the baby's born, 18, year, 18 years after the baby's born. We're still involved <laughs> because we get happy birthdays and pictures. And, you know, it's it's a very connective relationship. And it really is. It's It's actually incredibly special. So the options out there, you can have uh, the the normal sort of route would be you get pregnant, you see a gynae or you go to the uh, clinic and you um, have your antenatal care with that gynae or at the clinic. Um, You give birth at the predestined clinic or hospital where that's, you know, the feeder hospital to that doctor or to that clinic. Um, And then that would be going into hospital to either have a vaginal birth or a cesarean section. And when you go that route, research has shown that there's usually, even if you do end up with a vaginal birth, there will be at least two interventions that will happen. Um, and that could be being kept nil per mouth or having a drip up routinely or your water broken or an induction of labor or, you know, there'll, there'll be something that happens. It's not, I'm it's putting not up gonna, my hand for all of those. <laughs> it's not necessarily going to be you go in and you get supported and you get cared for by one person who asks you what you want out of your birth experience and how you want to give birth. If you birth in a hospital, you will also 99.9% be birthing on your back in a bed um, with a lot of instruction and quite a few people around you as well. 
with limited numbers of support mostly. Some hospitals are a little bit more open to it, but generally your partner will be allowed in and possibly a doula. Um, then the other option would be a cesarean section, which would be either an elective one because you choose to or the doctor chooses to or you feel that's the best option for you, or it may be an emergency caesar because normal birth is not is not working out for you and it becomes a bit too much of a risk, so they would rather choose the safer option at that point, which would be an emergency caesar. Then you have your midwife births, which would be um, – uh, based on a natural birth, midwives are low-risk practitioners. We train to deliver babies of healthy, low-risk women. And in our practice, we add on to that who want natural birth because we don't drag people to us. They come to us and we walk together. We don't force people through natural birth. That's not what we do in our practice. We, we expect a mutual re- a trust relationship where we all work to the same objective. So, yeah, with a midwife birth, you could birth either in a hospital if the midwife has got birthing rights in the hospital um, or at a freestanding birth center, which is something from long, long ago, but it's resurrected in in the world again. And there's lots of research happening around it. And then also a home birth is also an option with a midwife. We do look at safety as well because, I mean, nobody can predict how a birth is going to go and if an emergency is going to arise. So we, we follow all safety parameters as well and that would be to have a backup hospital to have a booking at a backup hospital to have a backup doctor who works with midwives and is happy to be called and to be told listen mrs x is not progressing can we move on to intervention and those are all the very important safety features yeah and I mean, just now from your conversation with me about that um, and the different options, again, realizing that sometimes we think we know the options and then, or we think we have choices and that we're making mm-hmm. a choice, but that someone has kind of convinced us into a specific choice I feel sometimes is what happens but anyway let me not get on my soapbox too much today for sure and we will run out of time and I want to how parents know all about midwifery midwifery and I can't remember see I'm getting confused yeah <laughs> anyway so during the pregnancy, obviously, I went personally to my gynecologist for a checkup once a month. Not a hundred percent sure that was necessary, but I did have to. I do have to say that I did enjoy someone telling me, "Hey, everything is okay," because I think the baby's in there and you're feeling mm-hmm. them eventually. But it was nice just to know that everything is okay. How often and what? Uh, let's first start with how often is a checkup with a midwife? Do you still go for gynecological um, checkups? Um, and what do you do during that checkup then? Yeah, no, for sure. So if you, it depends. If you're having a, a private hospital, if you've got a medical aid and the funds and your backup plan is a private hospital, then you would see your gynecologist at 12 weeks, 20 weeks, and again at 36 weeks. And that will be a gynae that works with the midwife because the idea is to all be on the same page and yes, not so have it's a, a whole have team a of people working together. No, it has together. to be a team because you can't yeah. have the poor woman who's pregnant having to fight for her rights and not sure who she can trust because everybody's telling her different stories. Yes. So that would be the gynae visits. And then the midwife visits, it is four weekly. You're quite right. Mm. Um, that was correct. So it's every four weeks until 30 weeks, and then every two weeks until 36 weeks, and then every week until you give birth. 
there is something also that we did it in COVID and also in the state they often do it. They call it bank visits, which is basic antenatal care. That is aimed at at least having getting women to have some important antenatal checks. And that's that's based on women that really battle to get to care. Um, and it, it does look at safety. So rather have three st- strategic checks in pregnancy mm. than no checks. But we, in in COVID, we kind of went to what was recommended around the world. But what we found is the relationship, the preparation for birth wasn't as good as when we do the four weeks, two weeks, one week. No. So, yeah. No, I, I have to say oh, for me as well, um, like I said, just a checkup. But what happens then during these four weekly checks? So we spend an hour on a consultation, or sometimes it's half an hour. It wow. How, it depends how talk <laughs> it's <hour>. good we are. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot of preparation. So five minutes is spent on the, the medical stuff because that's really quick. So that would be a urine check to see that there's no infection or glucose in the urine or protein in the urine, which could be a precursor to a pregnancy-related complication. We do the blood pressure and pulse, the vitals, and then we measure the uterus, and we also um, listen to baby's heart. We palpate to tell you how your baby's lying. And that's, and yeah, listen to baby's heart. And then if all of that is fine, then we sit and we talk and we look at what are you worried about? What's bothering you in the pregnancy? What are your fears? What are your hopes? Um, yeah, and it's all about education, preventative medicine. So if there's a mom, for example, who's got an underlying bladder infection, we can give her the right advice and refer her for treatment, you know, to prevent a bladder infection, which could end up with a premature labor or something. So we will look, look a lot at preventative medicine based on natural um, advice. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just imagining, and, I mean, an hour is amazing. I'm just imagining, uh, because 15 minutes at my gynecologist was yeah. really expensive. Yeah. Sure, no. <laughs> so just so, thinking so about was, having an hour. Hour. That was the other thing that this, um, in, in South Africa, certainly women have sonars with every single consultation. And there's absolutely, it's nice. I mean, a lot of people like that and you can see your baby and it's very nice, but there's absolutely no evidence supporting a sonar with every consultation. So the, the whole world kind of goes with two to three sonars during pregnancy, unless it's a high risk pregnancy or you're concerned about something. And that is what midwife care goes with the three strategic sonars in the pregnancy. But if a mom wants to have more, she's more than welcome. It's not like we don't want them to. It's just that we don't. And then as midwives, it's not in our scope of practice to do sonars. So there are some midwives that will do the odd sonar, but that's really more cosmetic just to check there is a heartbeat or, you know, maybe to see the sex of the baby or it's one baby or two. In our practice, we've chosen not to do that because um, we do have, we've got a lovely sonographer that works with us who's highly trained. And I feel that is her scope of practice, not our scope of practice. And um, if there is any complication, I want to know that we it's picked up. And I yeah. wouldn't be able to pick that up because I can't do a sonar. <laughs> yeah. I, and I mean, this is just, this conversation just highlights again, if you're doing this properly, how, I mean, you've now already mentioned all this people that are working with you. It's a team effort. And mm. I mean, just having that, I think, while being pregnant, and it's scary to think, oh my word, giant watermelon, tiny hole, all that <laughs> stuff. It's it's a scary process. If you've just joined us, you are on 101.9 High FM. I am your host, Yolandi Becker. 
And today we are talking options, birthing options. And specifically, we're talking to Heather Peterser, a midwife in practice already for 25 years and also a mother of two. You know, I like to talk to parents. I don't mm-hmm. like to talk to just anyone. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, one of the big misconceptions with regards to a midwife, and, and I, I feel like even a doula could fall under this as well, is that it's a very specific, you feel it's like a very specific type of person that goes for these options. And that is for me a myth that we need to dismiss because mm-hmm. not every midwife or every birth with a midwife means you're going to have a water birth, right? <laughs> you can have different options. And that's what I'm hearing today is that you can have those different options. But on that note, is is water birth a popular choice within your practice? And what is a water birth? <laughs> so, so water, water, not water birth necessarily, but water no. is a popular choice because when you do natural birth, it means birthing naturally, trusting your body, not doing, doing any intervention unless it becomes medically necessary. That includes synthetic pain relief, which can cause side effects because that is also a form of intervention. So the women that come to us, they want to have a natural birth, they prepare for natural birth, and they believe it's the right choice for them and the best thing for their babies. So then it's a case of, well, what do we do to help them? Because labor is sore, it's painful. It's, you know, you, 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 your baby is pushing, a, 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 your body is pushing a baby out. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be long and exhausting. So how can we accommodate them? It is. (laughs) So water is really, really very beneficial to help relax the muscles and calm your emotions down, calm your body down. And it helps progress labor and actually move labor along nicely. And then women very often choose to stay in the water, either because they think it's the best thing for them or their baby, or they just don't want to get out the water because it's working so well. So water birth, about 60% of our moments would do water birth. We always ask them before the time, how do they feel about it? And if we ever have a mom who's not comfortable in the water or is scared of water or a dad that really is terrified of a water birth, then we make sure that we get that mom out. Although 99% want to stay in the water when it comes to it. And yeah, water birth is a safe option. It's been done for years and years and years all over the world. There's a lot of research on water birth. The baby's born from the same temperature water into body temperature water, so it doesn't even know it's been born yet, and it only breathes when it's actually stimulated and out of the water and gets a different change of scenery, um, temperature, light, sound. Then it takes its first breath. So it's, it's a peaceful birth, but I really can't say there's any huge benefits to water birth besides a little bit more gentle and peaceful and more pain relief for the mom. I for sure can believe that because I mean, I'm not even basing my assumption now on, <laughs> on science at all, but you said there is science behind it. But I know, like, when I was full on pregnant, how uncomfortable I was and how heavy I felt. And I mean, my daughter was also born, um, at, uh, in December and it was super hot. I was like, <laughs> I, I was really uncomfortable and literally, most of the time for the last two weeks, if I had an opportunity, I was in the pool or in the bathtub. It was almost the only place where I felt buoyant in, you know, like 
like normal in a like mm-hmm. so I can I can for sure understand it. Again, I've told you this before as well. If I would have another child, um, I would definitely do it with you guys, um, for sure. But, um, my husband won't allow it. (laughs) (laughs) This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. And just like that, we are slowly but surely starting to run out of time. If you've just joined us, I'm in conversation with Heather Petersham, a midwife in practice already for over 25 years. And we've had such a great conversation already. If you've missed it, luckily for you, this will be available as a podcast on our website afterwards on highfm.com. Because it really is, again, reiterating the fact all I'm doing here is I want everyone to have choices and know what their choices are and be informed. And Heather said it so nicely in her practice in Pretoria, how you guys really have the support structure of different options available. And just that already shows for me how impressive it is, because that is not the feeling that I got, even though in the end, I did get what I wanted, I guess. But It's not always the case with moms is that we don't feel like we have different choices. And this is absolutely the feeling that I'm getting. But now talking about choices, what I wanted to also ask is if you have your um, baby with a midwife, is there still an option to have an epidural? (laughs) You know, there's always an option. But if you come to us, with the idea that you want to give birth with an induction or an epidural, we normally, we would normally guide you back to the obstetrician because we try and stick with what our main focus is, which is natural birth. If you come to us, however, and you do all the work towards a natural birth, and then at the end you do need an epidural, we're not going to say no. Then we try and arrange it. Um, no. Yeah, but we, I mean, yeah, gynees are there for high-risk births and an epidural does actually push you more into a high-risk category because there can be side effects and there's a much greater um, incidence of needing an instrument birth, needing an augmentation or a drip put up to speed up labor because it slows labor down. So, no. so we talk about a cascade of events. So once no. you start with one thing, it can lead to a whole lot of other things. But if we did organize for an epidural for one of our moms, it would be in a hospital only. We would never and, do that in a, a natural birth setting. No, and I mean, that again also brings me to my own birthing story. Um, with my son, I had an epidural. And to be honest, you're saying that it has a whole different side of complications. Um, one of the complications I had is that my epidural with Oscar actually only was effective on the one side. So my Ooh. one side of my body was completely paralyzed, so much so that I couldn't even pick up my leg. My husband, when I was pushing him out, actually had to hold up my leg. But also my vagina was numb. So that meant that I couldn't actually feel where I was pushing. Um, so I was constantly pushing in my face and not pushing down there, mm-hmm. which prolonged the actual. So what you're saying is again, making so much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the end, it worked out very nicely. And I remember my son coming out and crying like crazy. And then mm-hmm. as soon as they put him on my chest, he was quiet 
and he opened his eyes and he looked Aww. at me and I was just like, this is incredible. Um, so even though I had that, it was active labor, I think of an hour in comparison to Emmy when I was a lot more informed and a lot more prepared, which literally t- t- took like two pushes and she was out. And one of those I pr- pulled her out and put her on me and it was beautiful. Um, But you also now mentioned about high risk risk pregnancy. What happens though, if a mom now comes to you, when do you notice the high risk? Obviously I'd assume on a checkup and what happens then um, if you do Mm -hmm. notice that it's a high risk and what is, what is, what do you mean by high risk? What are some of the things that can mean high risk? Yeah. So, that's why we do screening with antenatal checks and that's why it's so important that women do attend their antenatal checks even though it feels like maybe we're wasting your money the reason for that again is that preventative medicine with with um with midwifery not with midwifery with pregnancy because you can prevent complications from happening if you pick it up early enough and treat it so some of the things would be somebody who's got a bladder infection, which ne- they need antibiotics. And then we could send the urine away. We could get the, the either send them to the GP or to the um, make contact with our backup obstetrician who then prescribes antibiotics. That's one of the minor ones. Then we'll have somebody who maybe presents with a much bigger baby and we do blood tests and we pick up that there's gestational diabetes. That mom would be referred for further tests for di- to a dietitian and to the obstetrician because they've got a lot more risk involved. The big one, of course, would be the mom with preeclampsia. So she might present with protein in her urine and swelling and her blood pressure is going up. That is a very high risk mom and that is meant for a high risk specialist. Midwives, midwives mid- <laughs> I also want to say it wrong now. <laughs> Midwives are not high risk specialists. We're meant to identify risk and refer to somebody who specializes in high risk. And that is about knowing your scope of practice and knowing when to refer. Sometimes it's devastating to refer. I mean, it's, you know, you'll have somebody who you've walked to the road for three pregnancies and on their fourth pregnancy, they complicate and you have to hand them over to a system that you can't be part of and you know that they're shattered and their birth, ex- their birth expectation is, is changing. And, but it's about safety at the end of the day. It's not about having this beautiful birth experience. Ultimately, ultimately it's about having a healthy mom and baby. Um, ideally, if you can marry the two and have the healthy mom and baby and have a beautiful, magnificent experience just as you wished, that would be ideal, but it doesn't always work out like that. If it's it's a state mommy, then we refer them to a high-risk hospital. And I mean, Heather, uh, if someone was ever in doubt of what a midwife does, and the only thing that has come through in this conversation for me about this is, first of all, the passion that you have for what you do Mm -hmm. and the responsibility and knowledge you have throughout. There's no question that someone is not hearing how smart and how informed you are about what you do and about pregnancy and childbirth it is really and i mean that's what you want in someone someone who knows how to do it and can help you through this process Mm. where you don't know and as you mentioned in the beginning i think fear is one of the biggest things in this process and if you have someone like oh i can just feel the calmness and that can go with it it's going to be amazing But the nitty gritty of it is what I also want to know now is do medical aid, uh, aids cover for midwives? And it's definitely getting better. 
Um, so there's some medical aids that cover 100% of a midwife birth in the freestanding birth center or at home, but they only cover a third of it if you do it in a hospital with a midwife, but yet they cover the full hospital fee. Then you oh. get some that, <laughs> yeah, so as it really depends on your medical aid. It's getting better though. Then you'll get some that will pay a huge amount for the birth and the, uh, we also visit our moms for up to three to six weeks after birth at home to check on them and check on the breastfeeding and look for jaundice and help t- to see if mom's coping and everything. So they'll cover the birth and postnatally, but then the antenatal consults, that hour that I explained to you, most medical aids will only cover 100, 120 rand. So oh. you can buy coffee and a piece of cake for more than that, than a midwife visit, unfortunately. And that is the reality. So the medical aids, while they're pushing women not to have seizures, they're not really talking to the midwives, the people they should be talking to about the fees that they should be covering. And it's it's an ongoing thing, 25 years of ongoing. I'm hoping that this conversation will also help for that. How can someone find a qualified midwife? Man, you, uh, I would suggest you... Now you've caught me. I've gone blank. <laughs> I mean, you, you can definitely Google it, but I, I mean, for example, in Joburg, you can phone, okay, Genesis, as, as you said, is, is shutting down. But normally if they're in Joburg, I would suggest they phone Genesis and ask for a list of the midwives and then phone and just get a feeling for who you connect with. But I think the best connections are when you do your own research and get a, a you know, you can Google it, get a few numbers and then take time to actually phone those people and see what, what your, your gut feeling is when you ask them the questions. Don't be led by popular on social media, please, because that is a terrible mistake people make. Um, so yeah, ask questions and ask the right questions. What about safety? Is there a backup doctor? Do you have birthing rights at hospitals? How far is um, transfer? Um, what are your relationships like with other healthcare providers? To me, those are significant questions that one would need to ask. You know, don't be scared to ask the hard questions. Do you carry, what emergency equipment do you carry with you if you have a home birth, for example? You have a yeah. right to know. This is your child you're talking about. And you want to know your care provider is going to look after yeah. you. Again, Heather, this has been so nice. Craig, the studio person, has now advised me we have officially run out of time. Heather, it's okay. been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Um, if you look, if you can Google Heather Peterson at Midwives Exclusive in Pretoria, as she mentioned, they have great talks that they have available that you can also um, go and attend to get more information. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Heather. Have a good day. It was lovely. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. And just like that again, our time has run out and it's been an absolute wonderful show. Again, my purpose always with the show is to connect you with the right experts in their field and especially to help you know that you have different choices when it comes to anything that you choose as a parent. As you all know that I have my own ideas about things and that's my right to have my own ideas, but I would never want someone to feel forced into what their choices are. As long as you know you have options, that's what's important. If you missed our show today, 
it was with um, a conversation with a midwife, Heather Petersha. And don't fret. The podcast will be available on our website, highfm.com, for you to go listen to and hear the passion, um, the knowledge that she has, and just the calm. That's I, I can't imagine that anyone would want, wouldn't want that as part of their birthing experience. But when deciding your birth plan, there are some factors to consider. And most importantly, important that you know you have options. Some limiting factors is, of course, what your medical aid covers, where your doctor practices, where you live. Sometimes there aren't a lot of options depending on where you live, but we are in Joburg, so there's options out there. Whereabouts you reside um, and the medical facilities in your area and whether or not you have a pregnancy that is classified as high risk. Heather mentioned some things that you have to remember, but look at your options. Look of what your options are, where they are. Are you going to be in hospital, at home? Do you want uh, to have it in a birth center? Um, your cultural options that you need to consider. Would you like to have support as part of your um, birth? How would you want your partner to support you during the birth? Think of things like the type of examinations you want, the frequency of your examinations. And more importantly, also remember to think of alternatives. Sometimes we have an idea just like with parenting and it doesn't necessarily work out the way we thought it would. Um, also think of things if you want pain relief options available, as Heather mentioned, then it might need uh, uh, be needed that you are in a hospital. If you choose to have pain relief options, if you want to go more natural pain relief options like a water birth, those are available. Do you want skin to skin afterwards when your baby is born? And um, what happens after your baby is born? So those are some of the things that you need to think of. Whatever and however you intend to give birth, your experience will impact your emotions, your mind and your body and your spirit for the rest of your life. My kids were born nine and 11 years ago. And as you could hear from my own sharing of those experiences, it's like it was yesterday. It doesn't change. It is something that you remember because it's such a profound experience. Um, I can still smell certain things, feel certain things from that time. But that's the end of our show. Join me next week as I speak to Yvette van Aberg about nannies, why you should get one and what you should look for when you are deciding um, to get a nanny. The world is changed by our example, not by your opinion. Let's lead by example for our children. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, enjoy your day.